الحمد لله الحمد لله العلي الأعلى الذي خلق فسوى والذي قدر فهدى أشهد أنه لا إله إلا هو له الأسماء الحسنى وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صاحب المقام المعلى أما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ألم يأنن الذين آمنوا أن تخشع قلوبهم لذكر الله وما نزل من الحق ولا يكونوا كالذين أوتوا الكتاب من قبل فطال عليهم الأمد فقست قلوبهم وكثير منهم فاسقون سرق الله العظيم Honorable scholars, respected brothers, mothers and sisters in life Allah presents us with opportunities and there are those who will take general benefit from those opportunities and then there are those who will optimize, maximize and take the utmost benefit from those opportunities and there is a distinct difference between these two group of people the month of Ramadan is an annual opportunity which Allah gives to the Ummah of Rasulullah The majority take general benefit. They fast for 30 days, they read Taraweeh for 30 days, they discharge charity, sit for atikaf, recite Quran, and they get the general reward of the month of Ramadan. And even that general reward is a tremendous and great reward. But then they are those select few, the really fortunate ones who seize the moment, who grasp the opportunity which Allah has afforded them and they take maximum benefit from the month, which results in them becoming better Muslims, better servants of Allah, which results in them getting closer to Allah and most importantly, remaining closer to Allah after the month of Ramadan. Now, if you want to introspect and if you want to judge yourself, assess yourself, and then ask yourself the question, how old am I? How many Ramadans have passed in my life? And a few days, a few weeks after Ramadan, does my spiritual condition go back to where it was before Ramadan? Or do I remain a better Muslim after Ramadan? That's the test. If your spiritual condition a few days or a few weeks after Ramadan went back to where it was before Ramadan, it means you secured the general benefit of the month, which is a tremendous thing. But you're not from those select few who truly seize the moment, grasp the opportunity and took the benefit of the month, which is meant to bring you closer to Allah and keep you closer to Allah, which is meant to make you a better Muslim and keep you a better Muslim. In short, every Ramadan is meant to take you closer to Allah so that the last Ramadan brings you closest to Allah before your eyes close. And the thing about life is we don't know when it will be our last Ramadan. There are so many that were here last year and are not with, you any, with us anymore. And every year, moments before Ramadan sets in, after Asr Salah, you'll get a notification someone has passed on. 
They've missed the great month literally by minutes. Not even by hours. It's not decreed for them. So the test of life is you approach every such opportunity as if it's the last opportunity in your life. And that's the first point that I want to share with you today. That approach this Ramadan as if it's the last Ramadan in your life. If you have that mindset shift, if you approach this Ramadan with this intention that this could be the last Ramadan of my life, then it will become the best Ramadan of your life. Your attitude, your intensity, your passion, your focus, your discipline will be next level, as they say in today's terminology. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, like anything else in life, you've got to generate momentum before the big occasion. You see, in Jannah, the entire year they prepare for the coming of Ramadan. One year. The pious sages, the day after Eid al-Fitr, they already commence their preparation for the next Ramadan. The bare minimum Rasulullah tells us, and we learn this via his dua and supplication, Allahumma barik lana fi rajab wa sha'ban wa ballighna Ramadan. That Allah grant us barakah during rajab and sha'ban. Why? We need barakah during rajab and sha'ban so we can adequately prepare for Ramadan. You've got to generate momentum. Now you see, in South Africa we have the comrades, or you have the Cape Argus, you can't pitch up on the day and say, you know what, I've got a brand new pair of techies. I'm ready to run. Now I go gym every day, I got a six pack. That race requires special training, altitude training. You can't come with a brand new pair of techies there. Your feet will look like they went through World War III by the time you finish. You've got to run those techies in if you're going to run a marathon. You can't pitch up at the Cape Argus and say, no, I got a brand new bike. And yeah, I got experience on the bike in the gym. There's a specific training regimen that is required for you to participate in that race. You may be fit, you may have the equipment, but you won't prosper if you don't have the adequate training and momentum leading into the race. And the ones who win are the ones who prepare the most. So for the month of Ramadan, you can't just wait for the announcement. Ah, the moon has been sighted. Now you start with Salah. Now you start with Quran. Now you start with Dhikr. Now you start with Dua. Now you start with charity. And you haven't built momentum. You'll still get reward. You'll still get reward. But that momentum is not there for you to optimize. And that's the theme for today's discussion. How to make it the best Ramadan. Not just to take the general benefit, which inshallah you'll get if you fast. So even these 10 days, it's late, but better late than never. Use these 10 days to generate momentum. You're not performing salah, perform salah. You're not performing in congregation, perform in congregation. You're performing in congregation, then improve the concentration of your salah. In t they say Sha'ban is the month of the Quran, meaning in preparation for Ramadan. Nabi Wasallam, outside of Ramadan, the month in which he fasted the most was Sha'ban, in preparation for Ramadan. Start talking to Allah. Start talking to Allah. Otherwise, you'll sit for itikaf, 27th night, Shaykh, make dua for us. What do you mean? No, make dua, we're going to say Amin. 
yeah, look, that congregational dua has its place where all of us make dua collectively and we have hope perhaps because of one elderly person or one pious person or one innocent in young individual, Allah will accept all of our supplications. But the essence of dua is for you to talk to Allah. Now you don't have the habit of talking to Allah. So even at the prime time, like the odd night or the 27th night, you don't know how to make dua. So you want somebody else to make dua for you and you want to say Ameen. Whereas the essence of dua is pour out your own heart before Allah. So start developing that routine in the next 10 days. All these good deeds. Also during these 10 days, try and get as much done in terms of your worldly affairs so that you can dedicate more time in Ramadan to your spiritual affairs. Get the shopping done, get the groceries done. Those who are self-employed, try and get as much of the work done now so you can optimize in Ramadan. What's wrong if, if you take your three weeks of leave in Ramadan? Why does it always have to be in December? understand December is the time when the kids are off and the, everyone is available and you take a break but occasionally say I'm going to take if not three weeks I'm going to take one week of my leave in Ramadan last 10 days set for itikaf these are moments how long are you going to live on average of 65 years these are moments that will count in the akhirah you know a businessman whose business flourishes in December, the whole world goes on holiday. He doesn't go on holiday because that's the time to maximize on profits. Even if he's a millionaire, he says, this is the peak time for my business. I have to be around. I got my management team. I got dedicated staff, but I have to be here. It's the peak part of the year. Spiritually, this is the peak part of the year for us. We can't just be lackadaisical. We can't be mediocre. We can't be average. Then you'll have an average Ramadan. And the objective here is to have the best Ramadan, inshallah. So now there's another point that we need to understand. That there are different types of ibadah and worship. See, for a Muslim, anything that you do, if your intention is right and your method is right, it's ibadah. So if you eat food, if your intention is I'm eating food to nourish my body so I can fulfill my responsibilities, and you're eating the right food and you're eating halal food, then every second you spend eating, it's ibadah. Right? When you sleep, I'm sleeping because Allah wants me to give my body a time to relax and repair and restore and revitalize itself. Then every second that you sleep, even though you're snoring like a John Deere tractor, you're getting reward. It's ibadah. But there's a difference between direct forms of ibadah and indirect forms of ibadah. Eating, sleeping, drinking, socializing, working. Seeking your livelihood. Even non-Muslims do it. Even atheists do it. Even animals do it. They go out in the morning seeking livelihood. They go out in the morning looking for water, looking for grass, looking for pasture. Yes, your intention and your methodology distinguishes you from them and that makes it ibadah. But it's not an act of ibadah in itself. It's a mundane action which every living being does. Salah is an act of ibadah in itself. Quran recitation is an act of ibadah in itself. Dhikr is an act of ibadah in itself. Dua is an act of ibadah in itself. So the spiritual energy in the direct forms of worship are far greater than the spiritual energy in the indirect forms of worship, even though you get rewarded for both. So if you look at your routine, you look at your itinerary the whole year, even if you are what they say, parban with salah, 
Salah takes up one hour of your day. One and a half hours of your day. Put Quran, dhikr, dua, two hours out of 24 hours. 90 to 95% of your time throughout the year is dedicated to indirect forms of ibadah. Sleeping six hours to eight hours. Work eight hours. Then you need at least another five, six hours for everything else. How much is left during the year for direct forms of ibadah? That's why in Ramadan Allah says you minimize indirect forms of ibadah and you maximize direct forms of ibadah. It's an important point to learn. Why? Because otherwise you see somebody sleeping in Ramadan, you say, well, but sleeping is also ibadah. Having a braai. I'm not saying you can't have a braai in Ramadan. I'm saying priorities. So one brother got a bit worked up one day with one scholar. He said, it's haram to have a braai in Ramadan. You guys are going on for yourself. So the scholar gave him a remarkable answer. He said, the day your father dies, will it be haram to have a braai the same day at your house? Won't be. But is it appropriate? Because there's a kind of joviality that goes with it. There's a kind of leisure that goes with it. If you have a quick braai because you list for braai meat, that's fine. But if you're going to have a braai on an odd night and waste the entire night, then, then you don't have a sense of priority. The scholars tell us that what is the link between taqwa and fasting? Allah says, What's the link between fasting and taqwa? There's various interpretations. Some say the fact that you abstain from food and drink and intimacy and no one besides Allah knows whether you've eaten or not. That in itself is taqwa. It means you're conscious of Allah. That's why you're abstaining. But another interpretation is that taqwa enhances when the nafs is suppressed, when your desires are suppressed. So when you do four things, your nafs becomes weaker and then your taqwa levels heighten. What are the four things? Qillat ta'am, you eat less. Qillat kalam, you speak less. Qillat manam, you sleep less. Qillat ikhtilat ma'al anam, you socialize less. Ramadan is not time to socialize more. Sitting for etikaf, hey, this is my, we have a hajj, haji bai, umrah bai, etikaf bai. We became good friends in etikaf. When you had time in etikaf to develop a friendship, it's time for ibadah. I'm not saying you must be nurse with everybody else in ibadah, or you mustn't greet them, or have a little bit of casual interaction, but shaitan is very smart. No, no, I'm talking to a Muslim brother. Then you're talking for two hours and three hours on an odd night when you're supposed to be in the masjid dedicating yourself to ibadah and worship. The greatest thief is the devil. He steals your time during prime time. So when you don't have discipline around your time management outside of Ramadan, you struggle with your time management during Ramadan. After Taraweeh, now you start browsing on your phone aimlessly. Then you sleep late, you can't wake up for Tahajjud. He's stolen your prime time. You're sitting for Itikaf, you need a noble action. Now all of a sudden the device, then the friends, then the food. Eat the best. But hey, I'm going to 15 minutes for chows, then I'm back to my routine. Not one and a half hours for chows. And you know, we're socializing around with the stuff. And then what's the point of Ibadah? If I give your whole Itikaf group a feast after Ramadan, the first weekend at your house, then gubshab the whole night. It's, a, it's, a, it's about priority. Everything is ibadah, but what is required in Ramadan? Now here's the beautiful thing. You see, the whole year, Allah says, give me one, two hours of your day for your salah, for your Quran, for your dhikr. The other 22 hours is for you. But I put so much of power in those two days that it's two hours, it's adequate for your spiritual energy. 
Even in Ramadan, Allah says, give me these 30 days of the year. I'll give you so much of spiritual baraka. You'll build up spiritual reserves for the rest of the year. You see, for dunya, quantity is required. You want your paycheck, na? You must work eight hours a day, 45 hours a week, only three hours leave, uh, three, three weeks leave per year, then you get paid. For akhirat, Allah says, default position, man bil hasanati falahu Any good deed you do, multiplied by 10 minimum. Allah doesn't want quantity. Allah says, I want quality. Allah didn't say, I want 50 namazes a day. Half your day must be in Allah said, five. Each namaz will not take you longer than five, 10 minutes. But do it properly. I'll put so much of barakah, your whole day will fill, be filled with blessings. Allah doesn't say, I want you to read the whole Quran every day. Allah said, read one Jews. Read half a Jews, but read it every day. Allah didn't say, I want you to make this be the whole day, dhikr in the masjid. No, the minimum, read it 100 times, subhanallah, alhamdulillah, Allahu Akbar, durood, morning, evening, istighfar, 10, 15, half an hour. Allah didn't say, I want you to be making dua the whole day. Make dua. After every salah, the basic duas. Once a day, the comprehensive dua. Allah wants minimum quantity, maximum quality. Allah said, I didn't tell you to fast the whole year. I said, fast for 30 days. I didn't tell you to go for hajj every year. I said, go for hajj once in your life. I didn't say spend all of your money in charity. I said, two and a half percent of specific wealth. So we just need to focus. We just need to focus. Life is short. Life is short, really. And the greatest preparation for Ramadan is to give up sin. To give up sin. See, you can take the best milk, best quality, most nourishing milk. You pour it into a dirty container, you've contaminated the, test, the taste, and you've diluted the nourishment value of the milk. It's not the fault of the milk, it's the fault of the container. Ramadan has its barakat, its anwarat, its fuyuzat. It will descend. The devils will be shackled. But we continue to sin out of habit. Shaitan is a lazy fellow. He doesn't make effort every day. He's not hardworking. He works smart. He doesn't work hard. I'm not saying that's a devilish principle. <laughs> but Shaitan works smart. He doesn't work hard. He just gets you into the routine of sin. Then he leaves you. Then you sin out of habit. He doesn't need to be there in Ramadan to make you sin. You sin out of habit. You see one alim beautifully said. He says, when the ordinary person goes to the toilet, you get the foul smell. When the toilet cleaner goes to the toilet, he gets no smell because his nose has been desensitized to the repugnant smell. When a pious person sins, he immediately realized I've sinned. He immediately feels uneasy, makes toba and you know fixes his life i won't make this mistake again i won't commit this sin again we people like us sin has become so entrenched in our routine on the 27th night in ramadan in ihram in front of the kaaba we're still gossiping and slandering someone and we don't realize if you're, you're sitting at arafah you're a haji it's the day of forgiveness and mercy and you're still backbiting you're still harboring ill thoughts because sin has become entrenched in our routine. Wallahi, the greatest preparation you can do for this Ramadan is to use these next 10 days to evaluate yourself, work out what are your shortcomings and sins and eradicate it. To keep fast is compulsory. Taraweeh is not compulsory. It's an emphasized sunnah, but it's not compulsory. Quran khatam is not compulsory. Dhikr is not compulsory. Dua is not compulsory. To abstain from sin is compulsory. 
To make 20 rakats is easy. To make 20 khatams is easy. To set 10 days for itikaf is easy. To make dhikr the whole Ramadan is easy. To stay away from sin is not easy, but it's not impossible. La yukallifullahu nafsan illa wus'aha. Allah would not have made it haram for you if you could not abstain from it. The struggle in life is to give up sin. One day somebody asked Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma that hypothetically, hypothetically, if you have two people, one is qalilul dhunub, qalilul amal. He has very few sins and very few optional good deeds, nafil good deeds. The other one is kathirul dhunub, kathirul amal. He has many sins, but he also has many good nafil and optional deeds. Who's better between the two? He said the one who's got lesser good deeds, but lesser sins. Because to do optional good deeds is not compulsory. To abstain from sin is compulsory. And this is why I say the devil works smart. He doesn't work hard. I'm not, I'm not trying to make you despondent about your taraweeh and your dhikr and your etikaf and your umrah. No, no. Do all of that. Even if you're sinning, still do it. Still do it. Because you'll be worse off if you're sinning and you're not doing it. But I'm saying, look at how the devil skews our priorities. He, puts us, he, put, he, he pulls us into a false sense of comfort. Deception. Ah, I made 10 khatams, I kept my 30 fast, I was there every night for taraweeh, I made so many uh, dhikr, I'm good. But hey, how many sins did you commit in Ramadan? Because you know what's the principle? Any good deed you do in Ramadan is multiplied. Any sin you perpetrate in Ramadan is also multiplied. You go to Makkah and Medina, any good deed you do is also multiplied. But Allah says, Any sin you committed in Makkah is also multiplied by 100,000. So your assets can increase in Ramadan, but simultaneously your liabilities are increasing and you don't realize it. That's how the devil works smart. He doesn't work hard. Take sin out of your life. You see, the most important thing is we must have an intention to change. You know what we normally do in the last 10 days before Ramadan? We, we binge on sin. Because we know for 30 days I'm hitting the pause button the day after Eid. Restart. No. Okay. Allah appreciates that you respect the auspiciousness of Ramadan. At least you put a pause for 30 days. But what actually Allah wants is for you to give up the sin, not to pause the sin, not to binge now. Because you know you can't do it in Ramadan. From now you must be saying that the reward of Ramadan is one thing, the benefit of Ramadan is another. The benefit of Ramadan is I must become a better Muslim and I must stay a better Muslim. Let me conclude with this brothers. What more do we want in terms of a wake-up call? I mean, this COVID showed us how weak we are, how vulnerable we are, how the whole world can turn upside down in a day. Now we see two billion Muslims can't come to the rescue of two million Muslims. See, we have to do everything. We have to do political engagement, political activism, economic engagement, boycott, everything. But the most important thing is to turn to Allah and strengthen our relationship with Allah. Since October 7th, how many of us have become better Muslims? Since October 7th, how many of us have given up sin for the liberation of Aqsa? I'm not trivializing all the other efforts. Simultaneously, all the other efforts must continue. And we see the signs of Iman that the Ummah is weeping and bleeding and we're not sleeping well at night. But I'm asking priorities. Do you spend as much time making dua for the people of Gaza as you spend time consuming news about what's happening in Gaza? 
So you've, your activism, politically, economically and otherwise needs the blessings of Allah. The blessings of Allah will come if you strengthen your relationship with Allah. The seerah teaches us whenever Nabi Wasallam faced difficulty, he turned to Allah. The one extreme is to say you only turn to Allah and you do nothing. The other extreme is you say you do everything, but you don't turn to Allah. You've got to do both, but with priority to turning to Allah. So if the time is not now, then when? If COVID hasn't woken us up, if this genocide in Gaza is not waking us up, then what do we need to catch a wake up? To say that this Ramadan won't be an ordinary Ramadan, won't be an average Ramadan. It will be the best Ramadan of my life, inshallah. I'll make the niyyah, I'll make the effort, and I leave the results in the hands of Allah. I will enter this Ramadan with the intention of changing for the better forever. And I will enter this Ramadan with the intention of becoming a better Muslim and remaining a better Muslim, inshallah. May Allah grant me and all of us the tawfiq. Wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiyyina Muhammad.